We've, we've, we've picked up a rowdy Australian hitchhiker in the front. Um, he looked a bit forlorn, um, a bit down on his luck, uh, wearing Crocs uh, with a big moustache. But you know, he's a lovely lad. Um, uh, what's your name? You come from Australia. What part of Australia? Melbourne. Yeah. <laughs> lovely bloke. Bonjour, hello and welcome to another instalment of Sigma Sports Presents the Tour de France Unplugged with me, Matt Stevens, recording from room 20, that's 20, or 20 in French. Um, it's, how can I say, it's an okay little hotel, um, but it, let's say it's, it's quite simple um, and um, meagerly appointed is the bedroom, but I've, I've got all my washing hanging around me from our recent visit to the laundrette. I washed things there, didn't tumble dry them because I prefer to hang them flat. Um, it's rather hot, I've got the window shut, and we're in a place called Tant Les Bains. Um, it's boiling hot, it's beautiful outside, we're on the shores of a lake with the mountains in the background. A little bit later on today, I'm going to go for a poodle. Now, the Tour de France um, has moved, of course, on from Denmark. That seems like an eternity ago now. And over the past few days, we've had a little bit of everything. Cobbles, hills, mountaintop finishes, and generally very, very good weather indeed. And it has been an intense and quite incredible although dominant week of racing for a couple of riders in particular. You know who we're talking about. We'll mention those a bit later on. So I'll be looking back at the last six stages, looking ahead to the next six and looking in between at myself and a lot of other things really, including my experiences and of course my, well, let's be honest with you, rather average fantasy Tour de France team. Now there's plenty to look forward to in this episode. Mitch Docker tells me what he thinks about Belgians, forward slash Belgium, uh, what a lovely chap he is. We're almost in a bit of a moustache competition. And if we were to have a trip over and our faces hit each other, we would be entangled, probably permanently. Probably have to go to a local A&E um, to, I don't know, untether ourselves. Um, anyway, he tells me about a lot of stuff. He's a lovely lad. He gave me a hat as well. Um, also, Bradley Wiggins um, asked the head of cycling at Discovery Warner Brothers, what the capital of Canada is. So it's like a mini car quiz. And also we buy all the remaining yops at a motorway service station. So grab a chaise, that's French for chair, get comfortable or comfortable, uh, perhaps put yourself a yop if you can find one. Actually, I think you can find them in Great Britain or wherever you are in the world, actually, because obviously this isn't just a Great Britain based pod uh, and enjoy, uh, or perhaps just drink your yop straight from the bottle like we do. Random letter. Wow, alert. that's pretty early. Random email in the pod. Random tweet alert. It is time for a random letter, email, tweet, or DM. Well, strangely, here at the hotel Comet Rouge or Red Comet, um, they have got a very old 1960s computer, and I pulled up a few questions from some of you who've um, written in um, using um, various devices, email or platforms, shall I say, and Twitter and indeed Instagram. So I'm going to answer a few. Um, so let's uh, start off with this from Insta. This is Dave1983, O, a lowercase O. Um, again, I, 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 I could do a whole podcast just reading into people's tags on social media. But anyway, Dave, thanks for getting in contact. Basically, it reads, G's chances, why no Ineos team as yet? Well, this is a little bit dated, but G's chances, well, he's lying in third position. Um, and a lot of teams do leave it very late to choose their squads, but we're deep into the tour now. And after yesterday's stage, um, Ineos have three riders inside the top 10. Um, Danny Martinez, unfortunately, dropped away on the penultimate climb yesterday, but Tom Pickock, of course, Adam Yates and Geraint are all in the top 10. And interestingly, G's chances, I think... I think head-to-head, 
he realised it's going to be beat. It's going to be hard to beat Pogacar um, and indeed Jonas Vingago. But word on the ground is, and I was chatting to Steve Cummings, um, a friend of the pod, of course, who is the Tour de France uh, manager for Ineos now. He said that G on the plunge to Belfi put out his best ever power numbers over a certain distance. Um, so I think it was like a 10 minute power because the, the plunge de Belfi is quite a short climb, quite an explosive climb, especially that last steep ramp. And he's put out his best ever numbers. And I've spoken to him off camera a few times as well, Garant himself, he feels really good. But I think what they have up their sleeve more than any other squad is numbers. Uh, Tom Peacock is on a voyage of discovery, really. He's still in the top 10. Who knows how long he's going to last, but I do think he could be a good foil. And obviously Adam Yates. So I think G's chances are good, but head to head, limited, but they're just going to have to think smart. So thanks, Dave B. But it's a really, a really, really good qu- question, but it's great to see G going so well. Um, Mogsy 100, M-O-W-G-S-Y 100, using numbers, not letters. Um, his little icon or avatar is... I presume it's his face or just a random man from the internet with his finger in his mouth. Quite strange. Anyway, will you be in Bordeauxon for the depart? I need my annual Matt Stevens spelt wrong. Um, might be a bit difficult now I spelled my name wrong. Um, selfie pick. Yes, Mogsy 100. I will. Um, come and see me in the village or generally hanging around the buses uh, with a camera in my hand um, chatting to people. So give us a wave, Mogsy 100. And if you could use your name, say, hi, Matt, it's Mogsy 100. I'll know immediately who you are. Head over and we can have a photo. Um, what? What? This is a good one. 48 Nugget. The, the, the letters? No, the number's 48, then Nugget. Um, what has been your favourite TDF to date and why? That's a good question. I tell you what, though, I've got to go a bit nostalgic and head all the way back to 1986 because that was my first ever baptism, as it were, my first ever real experience of the Tour de France close up. I watched it a bit on telly with Phil Liggett commentating, as you know, back in the day. Um, but I think, yeah, my favourite TDF was 1986 when Gred Le Monde won and I was there in the Alps. And interestingly, this week, in a few days' time, we revisit Alpe d'Huez. Of course, it's a regular stopping point for the Tour de France. And we revisit the Col de Granon, which the race hasn't been up for 30 years. So I think I'm one of the only riders here at the Tour de France, riders, DSs, and uh, Entourage has actually ridden up that climb when I was 16. So yeah, the 1986 tour, an absolute stone cold classic. Then we've got time for one more. Um, uh, thanks, uh, 48 Nugget. Um, Hunt underscore Leslie, are we getting hairdryers of reviews this year? Yes, I've already punted out two, and I might do another one from um, the hotel here in France. That I mean, the Hotel Comet Rouge. The thing about France, which is different to Italy, in Italy, pretty much all... of hairdryers are tethered to the wall. But in France, it's a little bit different. It's almost like you have to hunt the hairdryer. And I found the one in this room uh, in a small cupboard, but on a very low down shelf, pushed right to the back, almost as if they didn't want me to use it. Anyway, folks, thanks very much indeed for getting in contact. Please do, using the following channels, ask me some questions. We've still got another couple of pods to do. We'll do another one on the rest date and then after the tour itself. So get in contact by emailing, so quite traditional method, um, podcast at sigmasports.com or head over to Twitter or Instagram at sigmasports and the same for me at Real Stevens on both Twitter and Instagram. And I'll probably fire up a story which you can answer too. So please do get in contact and I'll try and answer as many as I can. 
just to set things in a little bit of context about how this pod works, or is constructed, built, carved, whittled. Um, throughout my time here, when I'm not doing my gig for Eurosport, uh, just in between bits, really, I've got a little cheeky microphone, and I've been taking the time to make some little recordings to give you, essentially, uh, a look behind the scenes and a bit of a flavour of what it's like to work at the Tour de France. It's not necessarily just about the racing because there's so much more than the racing that goes into um, being at the Tour. A lot of travel, a lot of in-between bits, little bits of downtime. Um, so let's rewind um, or scrub, as you do on a digital device, back to the start in Dunkirk for the beginning of stage four, where I tried to get close to a helicopter for your oral enjoyment. I think I raised my hand, well, my arm, about a foot into the air, um, which was quite a push, actually. Um, then at the finish in Calais, where incredibly and rather serendipitously, I managed to bump into Sigma Sports co-founder and one of my best mates, Ian Whittingham, or Whittingham. Uh, it is a very, very small world. Well, we're in France now. Uh, as you can hear, look at this and this heli noise. I'm just lifting the microphone up to the sky as if we could get like a foot nearer. <laughs> anyway, a bit of helicopter foley there. Stacey just kicked off. Just had a nice chat with Connor Swift, a uh, friend, of course, of Matt Stevens Unplugged. And also not a friend of Matt Stevens Unplugged, of Matt Stevens, uh, me. Um, that was a bit weird, went to the, into the third person there. But no, he's, he's looking, looking forward to, to, to today. Lovely sunny day here. Uh, in uh, Dunkirk. We're finishing off in Calais. Um, but what's happened today? Uh, I went out for a little poodle this morning. I had a lovely breakfast at our hotel. Tea was lovely as well. Absolutely gorgeous it was. I've just been mooching about um, this morning. Did a bit of a, bit of a social. Um, and uh, But more importantly, we had um, en route to the start. It's about a 40-minute drive. Um, Bradley and myself are big fans of a yop, the, the yoghurt drink. So we, we stopped at our services and luckily we scooped the last three bottles of Yop. There were two strawberry flavours left and a one vanilla flavour, so we just bought the lot basically. We scooped them all up um, and even made a short video about it. Um, and in the back of the car, Bradley actually tried to tap up Yop Play International for sponsorship, so I'll, I'll keep you posted on that one. So uh, right, we're gonna now drive to the finish. Um, but yeah, uh, this morning was all about, um, yeah, sunshine and Yop. We're live but recorded. I'm here um, amongst the throng in Calais at the finish of stage four. And who would, I mean, what a small world it is. So I'm just uh, making my way through, again, like a salmon upstream. Um, and I'm here with, with Ian Whittingham. Ian, um, we just bumped into each other, gave each other a massive hug. Um, hold the mic. Have a, what are you doing here? Well, you're watching That's this. That's all right, right, yeah. It's, it's completely random. Just come over this morning, jumped on, jumped on the, uh, the 10 o'clock ferry. Um, on the Brompton and, uh, and cycle down to town had a little bit of lunch and we're, we're, we're trying to work out how to get near the finishing line and who shall have MTB but you and uh, yeah here we are in Calais on a, a very kind of gravelly path proper gravel this, yeah, it really it? is proper gravel uh, gravel even <laughs> yeah and uh, yeah looking forward to 
seeing the stage finish today, Matt. Thank, thanks for that. Uh, uh, well, it's an honest insight, isn't it? But well, we are actually, we're, we're moving very, very slowly. Right, I'll, I'll sign off now. Um, but how lovely, look at him, he's so suntanned and looks like a movie star. Matt, Matt, I am just back from a week of cycling in Turkey where I did 500 miles in five days. I thought you were looking a bit lean. He's looking at his legs looking a bit tanned and cut. There's a little bit of definition down there. There's more than a little bit of definition. There's quite a lot of definition there, Matt. you, Matt. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I'll take that. From a racing perspective, what an absolute couple of corkers when we headed back to France um, from our, our stint in Denmark. Dunkirk Calais, um, who can forget uh, Wout van Aert, uh, his victory, um, solo, just rode everybody off his wheel. It was the talk of the town or the talk of the village du Depart, because we have a, a Depart village at the tour. Um, and in a future pod, I think I'll take you on a little tour round. Um, but everybody's talking about it, the riders, um, absolutely, uh, well, Enormously impressive. And um, the first time I've ever been to a McDonald's drive through on foot, which was quite interesting because we had um, days, weirdly, it was quite a stressful couple of days tra- traveling around, actually. Um, and we ended up back-to-back nuggets for lunch days. And and in the, at the finish t- in Calais, we saw we spotted a McDonald's on the finish line, um, had a drive through but no cars were allowed. But we, we couldn't go in because there was a private function in a McDonald's. Yes. Um, so we had to order on a giant iPad outside and then all our food was brought to us. So we just stood in the driveway of McDonald's drive through eating our Mookie D's before heading uh, to the finish. So that was my outstanding moment apart from the ride of Wild Van And then we headed, of course, to Aremberg where Simon Clark, I wouldn't actually call it a redemptive victory, but um, when you think he was blowing on the embers of, of his career um, in February uh, and was looking at retiring from the sport, um, he's one of the most well, really tactically shrewd riders out there. And his, his form is, is well, is very, very impressive. But what a ride. Chipped off early. Knew that day was one of the days you had to be on the front foot because of how the race exploded and was torn apart behind and took a magnificent victory. And the interesting thing about Aremberg, as many of you know, as many of you will know, should I say, um, the Forest of Aremberg, the hardest set of pavé or cobbles uh, in Paris-Roubaix. And the finish was about 150 metres short of the entrance, the iconic entrance to the Forest of Arenberg. But the um, the finishing area, or our outside broadcast un- uh, area, was basically in the grounds of the mining museum um, because the Forest of Arenberg, known as the Trouée de Arenberg, is essentially a strip of cobbles that go, just goes over the mine. And the, that Forest of Arenberg was only introduced into the tour in the mid-70s because there was a professional rider who used to be a miner um, who suggested to the organisation, ASO, that they um, use this section in Paru Bay because he thought it'd be great. Um, but yeah, I took some photos, actually, of these iconic, big, um, um, I don't know, the, no, the things with the mine shaft with that giant wheel, but they're all um, preserved really well, but like rusting and oxidising. And then you've got the calmness of the forest. It really is uh, an impressive place to be and uh, a magnificent victory. By Clarkie. We also had uh, a chat with uh, Nara Quintana, um, which was quite interesting as well, on his rollers, and he looked like he'd actually been down a mine. Okay, we just got this bit of a situation. We're in the car, just had lunch in a, cl- in a car park at Eddie Leclerc's, and Ty um, is having to get out of the car because he's left a gazpacho 
uh, at least a litre. Well, 750 mil. Uh, uh, well, but I'd probably it's a 750 mil bottle, but 300 mil still left. And if that had fallen on the ground, it could have hit a, a pigeon, small child, anything, and caused injury. Um, so we, well, yeah, we've had what we call road lunch, although technically been the car park. So you could call it car park lunch. Um, what do we have, folks? We had salads, didn't we? So, but, but uh, yeah, so um, batons. we had batons. Um, Bella had uh, a salad with what was it? Um, bits of ch- uh, a Manhattan. You know, apparently it was disgusting. Um, again, one of her famous one-second reviews, uh, which just looks at something and reviews it in a second. Um, simple as that, folks. <laughs> it really is. Tyre sat to my left. We've got a pelly case between us. We've got a very, very well-packed car, and we're just en route to the finish. Um, we started uh, where we started today, which was in Lille. Um, it's the cobbled stage. But we're fully fueled up, and do you know what? With the morale is absolutely sky high, so high in fact, I think we might have to open the sunroof. Right now, on to stage six, uh, which began in Bonche, uh, where I bumped into friend of the pod and guest of episode number 42, or 42, Mitch Docker, uh, the famous and rather lovable um, mulleted Australian. But before that, um, Banche is a uh, the location of a Belgian semi-classic, uh, which a friend of the pod, friend of the cafe ride, Adam Blythe, has won. I think it was his second year as a pro back in 2012. And uh, there's a memorial to him. Well, not a memorial because he's still with us. I mean, a commemorative small child, plastic child at the side of the road. Um, so if you head onto my Twitter, uh, you can watch a cheeky little video because it's just a lovely thing. It's lovely to see the people of Belgium commemorating such a magnificent victory for friend of the pod, Adam Blythe. Anyway, here's Mitch Docker. Oh, also, before, before I throw to Mitch Docker, if you do ever go to Bench, please avoid the scary clown. Uh, there's a statue to it just outside the castle and uh, avoid it at all costs. It's absolutely terrifying. Anyway, here's Mitch. Now, we're uh, in Bosch for the stage uh, stage six. I'll think about that for a minute. Um, with Mitch Docker, friend of the podcast. Uh, Mitch, you were asking me the same question a couple of moments ago. The Belgians love it, don't they? They absolutely love it. They do. It's like there's this understanding. They understand cycling more than just, you know, the Tour de France. There's not just here. It's like the, the Tour de France is a spectacle in the whole world, and you often get non-cycling fans watching it. But here you feel like every single person here gets it they're at the classics they're at the small races they're also at the tour i i just like i feel at home here too it's a weird sort of feeling but it feels comforting as a cyclist in belgium yeah you feel like you're always welcome don't you it's it's really there's a real warmth regardless of the location in belgium there is a real warmth but especially here it's a, a working class beautiful medieval town to walled city I think each each Belgian each, each location has its own identity, doesn't it? It does. Like you know, today's going to be you know not a typical stage from any other race we'd see, but it's going to be an exciting stage. We're getting pushed out of the way here by a car. Well, this is live, isn't it? This is live. This is real. This is proper. This is potting in the wild, isn't it? We are. <laughs> the team cars are rolling out on one yeah. side, and then we've got another official car pushing us out of the way. We've got thousands of people behind us. This image of us recording here is a dream come true for a lot of people. It certainly is. I, sometimes, I mean, we're allowed in certain areas. I think we might have pod-blagged our way into this situation, mate. Nobody looked at my accreditation, but 
We're enjoying it. <laughs> I don't think I was just thinking. I don't think we actually should be up here, should no, we? No, I don't think we should. I think I think it's uh, yeah. Um, I don't know what the what the word is. Interdit. Well, Be- this is Belgian rules. Anything sort of flies, doesn't it? Definitely, mate. <laughs> Cheers. Have a good day, mate. Thanks, mate. You too. Belgium rules indeed. Um, yes, access at the Tour de France um, to the riders, especially in times of COVID, is obviously very, very strict. And we all have to be masked up. We're in the bus area and at the start area. Um, but sometimes, if you're lucky and unobtrusive and fly under the radar, uh, we are fully accredited. But if you just walk from the signing on area and then the bus area, there's a special road that le- leads you through to the start. Um, so me and Mitch basically sachet just floated our way in and when the flag dropped we were no no less than three or four meters away from the back of the bunch but there's a lot of stages where you can't actually get that far so it, it was definitely a case of Belgian rules but you can get a real sense of it so you you're inside the race you basically stood right next to the red cars in the red famous L'Equipe team uh, race cars that go ahead of the race and just behind and then you're with the riders just chatting um it's a really lovely place to be when you're at the vuelta and the giro it's quite common that you can get there but the tour it's quite rare but it was really nice oh and a quick one as well um back to stage five there were a lot of crashes and one in particular was really nasty friend of the cafe ride um a friend of ours uh daniel os crashed very heavily and fractured i think it was vertebrae number seven so just want to wish him from everybody here at sigma sports we wish you all the best on a speedy recovery daniel now back to the racing um what a win it was for tali pagacha we know he's coming to this race the favorite but to take that stage at longway in the fashion that he did just shows that he's absolutely on fire and we haven't even reached the mountains yet on to stage seven or set. Um, now, before you hear this clip, and if you're not aware, Brad's job at the Tour de France is, aside from his podcast that we do most days, um, is to ride around on the back of a motorbike and report from the race environment, which has gone down really, really well. It's what Brad does best, I think. He's, um, it gives that, it's that, us that unique view from, um, from the race uh, like nobody else can. And he's so, obviously so well respected. Quite often you get riders coming by and, and saying hello. So we really enjoy that. But um, we had a chat, almost like a business meeting from within the car with a gentleman from Canada called Guy Vauzin. Now, to explain who he is, Guy worked with GCN back in the day when I was at GCN. Lovely chat, was a producer. And nowadays is the head of cycling at uh, Eurosport Discovery Warner Brothers. Um, yeah, all around lovely chap, but basically our boss. Well, that's the sound of some fans. We're descending the Planche de Belfi, or the Super Planche de Belfi. We've got a police escort, as you can hear. Uh, that's not just because Brad's in the car with Pete, uh, and of course Ty, and myself. It's because we've, uh, we are following. I don't think we need to go that way, or do we? Uh, I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, we don't know. We've... We just descended off the planche de Belfi. Um, we've got me, Pete, Ty, Brad in the car, uh, packed to the gunnels. I think they've done a really good job of, of car Tetris. Um, but, oh, we've got Guy Vauzin on the, on the line. Uh, it's the hotline to Guy Vauzin. Guy, you're on the pod. Go for it. Hey, Guy. You're on speakerphone, mate. Hey, Guy. What is the capital of Canada? Yeah, I hear you. What's up, man? Brad's just asking you what the capital of Canada is. 
go. Good call. Ten points. Toronto. <laughs> How you doing, Gay? You right? No, it's not Toronto. What are you talking about, man? Toronto's six hours away from Ottawa. <laughs> it's an American city, Toronto. <laughs> yeah, does Brad hear me? Yes. Yeah, he does. yeah. yeah man, you were awesome today, dude. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. No, it was good today. I enjoyed it. Well, we all know that Plonge de Velfi generally delivers, but what an absolutely blistering performance it was. Um, actually, do you know what? By everybody, just to get up that beast of a climb. Of course, it finished up La Super Planche de Belfi, not just the Planche de Belfi. It's the super version. So it's the bit. Um, it's like buying, I don't know, a multi-pack of crisps and getting an extra bag free. That's what we're talking about. Um, it was absolutely astonishing. So you go up the climb, which is not the longest, 6, 7K, 6K, and then there's a big car park, and then there's a gravel section that leads you onto a tarmac bit, which is only 200 metres long, actually less than that, 150 metres, at 24%. Um, and of course, what was it? Leonard Kemner was away for Bora, wasn't he? Looked like he was going to hold on, and then Jonas Vingigo basically lit a rocket, um, nearly dropped, well, did drop Taddy Pogaccio, but somehow... Uh, the young, um, tousle-haired Slovenian managed to come by him on the line, um, but absolutely sensational. And I did ride up it um, early that day, as I've done before. I did it back in 2019 when the race was here last time, um, but it wasn't any easier. And I, it, I think it took me about three minutes to ride the last 150 metres. And I did film most of it, but up to that point, I couldn't film. Uh, and I was weaving across the road. So I probably did, I would estimate, maybe 300 metres to get up 150 metres to basically slice off the ridiculous elevation. Um, but an absolutely superb stage. And uh, again, just another illustration of how well Tali Pogaccia is going. So deep breath now and on to stage eight or stage wheat, where we managed to weirdly um, pick up an Australian hitchhiker on the way to Dole or Dole. Just in the car on the way to stage, stage eight, and uh, we've, we've, we've picked up a rowdy Australian hitchhiker in the front. Um, he looked a bit forlorn, um, a bit down on his luck, uh, wearing Crocs uh, with a big moustache. But you know, he's a lovely lad. Um, uh, what's your name? Have you come from Australia? What part of Australia? Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, I was chatting to a friend of mine, Brad Wiggins, the other day, and he said that a lot of Australians tend, they're lovely people, they tend to shout a lot. Can you explain that? Oh, I don't know, mate. We just like shouting. He just said, I think he comes from when we're chasing dingoes and crocs. He said, get dingo, get out of the way, man. Well, to beat that bit, but do you know what? He's a lovely man, um, and he's brought, he's brought with him a bag of, uh, of fruit. Uh, what you, what, uh, is fruit's big in Australia, isn't it? It is. Cherry possums. Lovely bloke. Stage eight, what a, another demonstration from Wout Van Aert of his, his sheer versatility. Um, took another stage. He thought Michael Matthews was going to get that one, but the Australian had to settle for another second place. Um, and almost a, another GC battle. It was a very similar finish to Longwy, uh, but on this occasion, it was the man in the green, in green that won it. And not just an illustration of the versatility, 
of Wildman Art, but also of the um, the misfortune that seems to beleaguer Thibaut Pinot, because it's difficult to explain it, but I guess most of you have seen it on, 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 on telly or on the internet. It was a, a ridiculously low-speed crash into the fist of a Trek Siegfriedo soigneur. Uh, I've never seen a crash like it. So basically got punched in the face at around two and a half miles an hour. So one of the most pathetic, unfortunate crashes I've seen in my life. But we do wish Thibaut Pino all the best. It wasn't just a fist, of course, it was a feed bag, but very, very confusing. I'm just wondering if for that particular section, Thibaut Pino had his eyes closed because it was one of those strange crashes. Oh, I had a crash like that once in Paris. I was descending a hill into a town on the way back from one of my rides. Um, and I was, I was braking, so I was only, I'd, I'd slowed right down. Um, and a woman walked out in front of me. And, you know, when you go left, you go right, you go left, you go right. But all the time that that's happening, you're actually moving closer together. And I ended up with my front wheel between her legs and her face in mine. Um, never forget that. But uh, that's, uh, that's essentially what happened to Thibaut Pino, except it wasn't a woman. It wasn't in Paris. It was on the stage of the TDF. And it was a rather burly, um, yeah, soigneur from Trek Siegfriedo and his musette. <laughs> Stage nine, then, we started in Aigle. Always difficult to pronounce. It actually means eagle in French. Uh, it's the home of the UCR, the Union Cycliste Internationale. Absolutely beautiful place. And the vast majority of the stage, in fact, was held in Switzerland, save for the finish at Châtel de la Porte du Soleil. So Châtel is a little place, and la Porte du Soleil is an extension. It's another uh, little little climb. Um, great win, of course, for Bob Youngles. Superb ride. Um, he actually dropped Simon Geschke, didn't he, on the climb. Geschke took the points moving to the mountain jersey, and then Jungles just rode him off his wheel on the descent and held on to win. Um, that was his first win since 2019. So fair play to Bob Jungles. Um, Colton Kirby calls him Bojangles. I don't know what he thinks about that, but there you go. Uh, but from a personal perspective, um, on the way to the finish, um, we stopped off at a little service station, a tiny little service station, um, and we discovered some new flavor crisps. So they were they were rippled, ridge-cut crisps, um, but chinois flavor, so just Chinese flavor. So it's the taste of China, um, which is quite broad, isn't it? Because lots of things happen in China. Um, but they were generally quite spicy, quite a spicy flavor, which again, perhaps illustrative of the enormous country. Um, so they were, they were great. A new, new crisp discovery. I also discovered later on, I took a little solitary ride up um, to the ski station beyond the finish line for a good 20 minutes in a humongous gear because my gears are a bit faulty at the moment. I'm a Brompton, uh, so it's essentially like doing weight training. And I got bitten on the on the upper shin by what I can only say was a, some sort of prehistoric fly. Uh, it landed on my leg. I felt something on my shin, went to um, brush it away, hit something. I felt this creature um, with the back of my hand, looked down, it was still attached by its proboscis in my in my leg. I hit it again. Thankfully, it fell away. I think I must have killed it, such as the force of the blow. But then there was blood trickling down my leg. This was all whilst riding. I had to pull over to the side of the road, mop up the blood with my finger, uh, and then I just, well, I've got this enormous wound, and I'm just hoping that uh, no legs, uh, no, no legs have been laid. No eggs have been laid. Imagine having legs laid in your legs and all these little legs coming out. That'd be really weird. Anyway, um, it was a good little ride, but shattered, of course, unfortunately, by that weird fly bite. (music) 
Right then, let's have a little look forward to the next six cease stages. Um, in particular, I do go on about this quite a lot, don't I? But I'm really looking forward to the Col de Granon stage, which, so we've got Morzine Mejev, which is coming up on stage 10. That's a mountaintop finish. Uh, Albeville to Col de Granon, that's a mountaintop finish. And Briançon to Lap d'Huez. So the next three stages are absolutely brutal. But of them all, um, I'm looking forward to the Col de Granon, I think. It's the first time I've back, been back in 30 years. Um, and it's a brutally steep climb. I, I think it's the hardest climb of the Tour de France. It's an old military road. So generally military roads don't, they do use bends, but they, they're they very simple, um, a means to an end, so a straight road. So generally military roads are straight and very, very steep indeed. Um, so um, it's quite wide, but 10%, just over 10% average, which is very steep for the Alps for 11Ks. And I rode up that as a 16-year-old. So I'm, I'm, but I, I believe it's so small at the top that, they're, we're not, that all the buses are going to be right at the bottom. So I think the TV compound is actually going to be at the bottom of the hill. It's so, it's so, but it's, it's just massively significant, I think. And I, and I think the race will explode. I think that's going to be, that's the stage I'm looking forward to the most. And then of course, the stage at Alpe d'Huez. Everybody loves Alpe d'Huez. There's just a, a wonderful atmosphere up there. Um, and every, the tour generally visits every two to three years. They don't overuse it, but when they do use it, it's generally very special. And of course it is, um, and I one of the most iconic climbs in, in world cycling. And, for us, it's even better because we don't have a transfer after the stage. We're actually staying atop Alpe d'Huez. And then we go to St. Etienne, another place where I um, cooked some meat with my dad back in 1986. We had a we bought some very, very cheap stewing steak uh, because we're on a limited budget and we fried it. Um, but it was awful. And the meat was good, but there were so many flies around. So that's my, my, my overriding experience from uh, recently, well, 30 years ago from St. Etienne, was trying to cook tea with my dad and nearly bursting out crying because of the amount of flies there were. And I, I retreated in, eventually into the tent and burst into tears at uh, difficult times. Then we go to Monde, Rodez, Carcassonne, a place where I lived briefly. Um, so we've got three brutally tough mountain stages and then some hilly stages. So this next section of the course, there's pretty much zero opportunity for the, the sprinters. A few breakaway days, but big, big GC battles I'm expecting. Um, what else am I looking forward to? Um, Supermarkets, getting back to Eddie Leclerc. Um, I think we've decided amongst us, that includes Bradley, that includes uh, Pete, our producer, uh, and also Ty, another one of our producers here. We really do love going to Leclerc supermarkets. And we tra if there's a short transfer, even a long transfer, we generally have lunch. We go and buy the lunch in the store, uh, and then we sit uh, in the car park and eat it off the bonnet. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, the bigger the supermarket, the better, really, for me. Okay, let's have a look now at the fantasy team, Matt's fantasy team. Um, I'm going to click um, onto the league. Now, um, this the Tour de France website, um, as you'd think, is actually um, in French. And this is wonderful. A, lo a lovely idiosyncrasy is the fact that I'm 92th, not 92nd, in the league um, with 2,827 points, which I'm reasonably happy with, actually. Um, the first three uh, teams in our league are as follows. Uh, Haverio leading with 
oh, a whopping 7,151 points, um, closely followed by Sam's Bit with 7,128. Then also on the podium, fresh to the podium, um, somebody called Dosta. Now, Dosta and Haverio, could you please um, fill in your avatars, please? Because there's a possibility you may be disqualified or you may not. It's just we like to see who people are. Um, you could just post a picture of somebody random on the internet, one of your relatives perhaps, or just a cartoon, but we don't like the little plain things. So uh, actually saying that, <laughs> I've not done mine. Um, I'll, I'll, I will do mine, folks. Don't worry. Uh, but but on <laughs> avatars aside, um, in terms of my squad, I'm pretty happy with the way they're going. They're increasingly building up the points. And as we move through, I mean, Caleb Ewan has just had torrid luck. My sprinter has scored, hasn't scored any points at all. I was speaking to his DS the other day, and, and they've just had really bad luck. He's in good shape, but has had, hasn't had much luck at all. So I might swap him out for somebody to go in the breakaways. Um, but I'm more than happy with Geraint Thomas and Jonas Vingago at the moment. So I'm pretty happy with my team, but I might move those out um, this week. Um, I might have a deep dive on the rest day to swap things around a little bit. But so far, I think my attitude towards this or my tactical ploy is to play a long game because at the moment, Vingago and Thomas, as you know, are sitting third and second on general classification. So I think I'll just do one transfer. I'm going to swap out Caleb Ewan for somebody who could get into the breakaways. I think Bob Youngles, or those won a stage, I think he could win another. Well, that's about it. Thank you very much indeed for listening, folks. Um, I'm now going to pop out into the beautiful sunshine and head into the hills. Uh, we're actually on, the, on the, um, the shores of a lake, so I think I'll head into the hills on my Brompton, drop back and find a place for a little coffee looking out onto the lake. Right, if you haven't seen the Rebecca Charlton Cafe Ride, head over to sigmasports.com slash cafe ride or head to the Sigma Sports YouTube channel. And while you're doing it, please subscribe because we've got a lot more very, very cool cafe rides coming later in the year, which I'm very excited about. And, and also, please try if you haven't already um, you haven't seen it watch it for the first time and if you have seen it maybe watch it again because it was an absolute corker of a cafe ride rewatch the episode we made in london uh, at the hundred club with daniel oss and again we do wish him all a very very speedy recovery he's an absolutely lovely chap well that was a lot of fun really really enjoyed it um even i'm just it's my first podcast i've actually done everybody in my cycling shorts. I've got no socks on. My room's very hot. I've got the window shut. No air conditioning. I'm just in my cycling shorts with a bare top. So I'm going to leave you that image to finish off the pod. Uh, so don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and recommend it to your mates. And um, looking forward to bringing you another episode on the rest day in Carcassonne. So for now, cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye. <laughs>